On the 26th of April 1986, a large explosion occurred in reactor number 4 of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant near Pripyat, Ukraine. It was the worst nuclear power plant disaster to date. But what exactly caused the explosion? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Vortex of the Past. My name is Brayden. Today's editor is Kay. Disclaimer there will be mentioned of injury and explosions in the latter half of this episode. So if you're not in the right place to hear about the topic right now, feel free to skip this episode. Now, to keep this from dragging on forever, I'm going to split this topic into multiple parts, usually two days of the definitive time. First, we need to understand what Chernobyl was structurally. The Chernobyl reactor was a RBMK-1000 nuclear reactor. The RBMK series is a water-cooled graphite moderator, the nuclear reactor, which in simple terms means that the graphite rods are used to keep natural uranium's radiation and control the water's pump through the rods to cool uranium and to produce the steam needed for energy from the plant. Then they control rods to being used as a failsafe if the radiation got out of hand. The other six that are already in place. Used only in the Soviet Union due to the design flaw no other nation would use. Around 26 reactor blocks were made, but found eight still in service today. The maximum allowed temperature of the graphite is up to 730 degrees Celsius. Chernobyl, at worst, reached up to 2,255 degrees Celsius at the peak. It's meltdown. The recommended limit for radiation in Rotengen was about 100 Rotengen per hour. Chernobyl, at worst, reached up to 20,000 Rotengen per hour. The RBMK series did have a design flaw that no other nation would accept due to safety reasons. Chief among these reasons was its inherent instability, especially on startup and shutdown. Because of the way the reactor used graphite, where American reactors used water, so when Soviet operators tried to reduce power, the RBMK had a tendency to sharply increase power production instead. As overheating became more severe, power increased even more. The overheating could potentially produce dangerously high amounts of steam, which, although it seep power, could build up Molotov as contained area, which I believe happened. But that's Chernobyl. I don't. I'm not an expert on this. Now, on the 25th of April, 1986, at 1 o'clock a.m., operators at Chernobyl Nuclear Power Plant, Reactor 4, started to test to see how the reactor would work under low power flow. The steam power was directed to both turbines and power generators, and the, reactor, and the power was lowered over time. At 1.05 p.m., 12 hours after power reduction was initiated, the power reactor reached 50% of power. Only one turbine was required to begin the decreased amount of steam caused by the power reduction. Turbine number two was turned off. It's five minutes after, at 2 o'clock, the power should have been reduced to 30% power, but the Soviet electric authorities refused to allow for the reduction due to a need of power elsewhere. So the reactors stayed at 50% for the next nine hours. Now, again, I'm not an expert, but I think this might have delayed the explosion themselves, but I may have been incredibly wrong. This... This could have also accelerated the risk. No. Okay. 
But anyways, let's continue on with this. The next day, the 26th of April at midnight, Alexander Akimov, the unit chief in charge of this test, took over this test from Yuri Traeger of the previous ship shift operator who stayed on site at during the events. 20 minute, 28 minutes later, the control rods are transferred from local to global control. The power within the reactor plummets, the further rods are withdrawn. Powering, dropping power from 1,500 megawatts thermal to 30 megawatts thermal was disconcerting, and Akimov wanted to abort the test, but the deputy chief engineer, Anatoly Dyatlov, overread this idea, threatening to replace them with tra- Tregrub and, me- and intimidating them into attempting to raising the reactor power. The power stabilized to around 200 megawatts thermal and at all. Around 1 a.m., did not rise further than this. At 1:19, the control rods were raised. At the at 1:21, the capacitive of fuel channels are seen by by the staff are seen jump. They're seen jumping in their sockets. Valery Prezvozchenko, please. Please forgive me if I pronounce that wrong. The reactor sector foreman was present on the open platform just shortly before the explosion. He witnessed the 350 kilogram blocks top the few channels of the upper biological shield jump in their sockets and felt the shock waves on the plant floor. The rupture of the pressure channels had started, so he started running towards the control room to report his findings. A few minutes later, the control rods were put into the core during an emergency insertion, but it was too late. As the water temperature was too high, cavitation or bubbles reached circulation pump, and the power slowly, slowly increased as the coolant boiled. <laughs> yeah, the cooling materials boiling. That's definitely supposed to happen. Four seconds later, explosion. The reactor had reached 120 times its full power. As the radioactive fuel disintegrates and pressure from all of the excess steam, which was supposed to go into the turbines, broke free one of the pressure tubes, leading to an explosion. The 1,000 ton lid above the fuel elements is lifted by the first explosion. The release of radiation starts. Air reaches the reactor and the oxygen results in a graphite fire. The metal of the fu- fuel tubes reacts to the water. This is a chemical reaction which produces hydrogen, and this hydrogen explodes. The second explosion. Burning debris flies into the air and lands on the roof of Chernobyl Unit 3. The explosion occurred. The air filled with dust and power went out. Only battery powered emergency lights stayed in operation. The fire alarm was activated, and the Pripyat's fire brigade was called. Vyacheslav Brosnik, the senior turbine machinist operator, ran into the control room to report the fire in the turbine hall. Pyotr Palamarsuk, the Chernobyl Enterprise Group supervisor, together with Razim Davletbaev, I don't know how to pronounce this, followed him back to the turbine room. They witnessed fires on level 0 and plus 12. I, I don't know if that means upper 12 or what. 
Broken oil and water pipes. Roof debris on top of turbine 7. And scattered pieces of reactor graphite and fuel, with the linoleum on the floor burning around them. Palabarchuk unsuccessfully attempted to contact Sashanok in room 604, then ran around the tur turbo generator number 8, down to level 0, and urged the two men from the Kharkov Mobile Laboratory assigned to record the turbine 8 vibrations to leave. They, however, had all, both had already seen, received a lethal dose. Alexander Yushchenko was located in his office between reactors 3 and 4 on level 12.5. He described the event as a shockwave that buckled walls, blew doors in, and brought a, cl a cloud of milky gray radioactive dust and steam. The lights went out. He met a badly burned, drenched, and shocked pump operator who asked him to rescue Kodemchuk. They quickly proved impossible, as that part of the building did not exist anymore. Yuchenko, together with the, Yerman, the foreman Yuri Trigrub, ran out of the building and saw half of the building gone. Gone. And the reactor emitting a blue glow of ionized air. They returned to the building and met Valery Perevozchenko and two, two junior technicians. Kudraya... Stev and Proskuryakov, ordered by Dilatov, Dyatlov, or Akimov, to manually, manually lower the presumably seized control rods. Traeger went to ex report the extent of damage to the control room. Despite Yuvchenko's explanation that there were no control rods left, the four climbed the stairwell to level 35 to survey the damage. Yuvchenko had had held open the massive door into the reactor room, and the other three proceeded to locate the control rod mechanism. After no more than a, than a minute of surveying the reactor debris, enough for all three of them to, to sustain fatal doses of radiation, they returned, their skin darkened with nuclear tan in reaction to the high dose of radiation. The three were the, These three were the first to die in the Moscow hospital. Yuvchenko, meanwhile, was, suffered serious beta burns and gamma burns to his left shoulder, hip, and calf as he kept the radioactive dust covered door open. It was later estimated that he received a dose of 4.1 cyberts, which is the commonly used radiation dosing measurement today that replaced rodents. At 3 o'clock, he began vomiting intensely. By 6, he could no longer walk. Hilaire spent a year in the Moscow hospital receiving blood and plasma transfusions and received multiple skin grafts. Approximately 135 firemen had arrived from Perpiat and started to fight fires on the roof of the turbine hall. Grigory Kemel, one of the drivers of the fire engines, later described what happened. We arrived there at 10 or, five, 10 or 15 minutes to 2 in the morning. We'd still graphite scattered about. Misha asked, Is that graphite? And I kicked it away. But one of the fighters on the other truck picked it up. It's hot, he said. The pieces of graphite were of different sizes some big, some small. Enough to pick them up. We had no idea. We did not know much about radiation. Even those who worked there had no idea. There was no water left in the trucks. 
Misha filled a cistern and we aimed the water at the top. Then those boys who died went up to the roof. Vashchik, Kola, and others. Voldala Pravik. They went up the ladder and I never saw them again. However, Anatoly Zakhov, Sakharov, fireman stationed Chernobyl since 1980, offers a different description. I remember joking to the others. There must be an incredible amount of radiation here. We'll be lucky if we're all still alive in the morning. At around 6.35 a.m., 37 fire brigades with a total of 186 firefighters have by now been called in. All fires extinguished except of the except the fire containing reactor number four. At 8 o'clock p.m., a government community is established, led by Valery Legasov. They, they are surprised by the bits of graphite they see lying around when they arrive. None of them suspect a graphite fire. Following the explosion, many inhabitants of Prepyat gather on, on a railway bridge just outside of the city that provides a view of the nuclear power plant. They saw, they spoke of beautiful flames and all the colors of the rainbow, the burning, this was the burning graphite. And how the flames reached higher than the pillar of smoke. Sadly, what they didn't know is that the wind that swept over them carried a, a re a dose of radiation equivalent to 500 rotengen. Exposure to 750 rotengen per hour. 7.5 cyberts is the lethal dose. Of the people standing on that bridge that night, no one survived. It's, it is now often referred to as the Bridge of Death. Within, an hour, within hours of the disaster, Soviet Deputy and Energy Minister Alexei Makukin, or a secret message to the Soviet Communist Party, detailing the explosion of the upper part of the reactor, the collapse of the walls and part of the roof. Staff were taking measures to cool the active zone of the reactor, he said, adding there was no need for the evacuation of the nearby town of Pripyat. Leopold Kovalevskaya was in Pripyat the night of the accident. When she woke up late the next morning, remember I reported strange sounds coming from the power station during the night. In an interview later published in June 1987, Kovalevskaya told of what she saw when she went outside that Saturday. All the roads were covered in water and some white liquid. Everything was white. Follow me, all the curbs. I had walked further and saw policemen here and over there. I had never seen so many policemen in town. They weren't doing anything, just sitting in various places. The post office, the palace of culture. It's there martial law. It's quite a shock. But people were walking about normally. There were children everywhere. It was very hot. They were going to the beach, to their country cottages. Many people were already there, sitting by a stream next to the cooling reservoir. It's an artificial reservoir next to it. Your power station. Anya, my daughter, had gone to school. I went home and said, Mama, I don't know what has happened, but don't let Natasha, my niece, out of the house. Anya went to school to take her straight into the house. But I didn't tell her to close the window. I went back to the central square. Square. The reactor was quite visible. Look and see that it's burning and its wall was broken. There were flames above the hole. Then Chim 
be between the third and fourth blocks was burning hot. Looked like a burning column. We knew nothing all day. Nobody said anything. Well, they said there was a fire. By radiation, the, ra the radioactivity was escaping. Not a word. Anya came back from school and said, Mama, we had, Mama, we had a physical exercise outside for almost a whole hour. Insanity. Insanity. This is when my sources go to the next day, so this is where today's episode will end. So thank you for listening. The next so we'll be somewhere in the next few days or weeks. So until then, stay alive out there, y'all.